Hello and welcome to episode two of One Foot the Podcast. This week we'll be talking, I say we, me, we'll be talking about uh, the episode, The Big Sleep. Um, just so far, I'd just like to say thank you so much for those who've already listened and provided me with some uh, positive feedback. I'm very, very touched. Um, it is a bit of a challenge doing this alone. I'll keep repeating myself with that, but I'm just pointing out that talking to yourself essentially isn't as easy as it used to be when you're a, a toddler. If you did talk to yourself, I may have done probably, maybe. Um, but yeah, thank you very much. So, what I thought I'd do is obviously going to be breaking down the episodes uh, scene by scene, a bit of critiquing. But I think I'm going to introduce a very appropriate feature. The feature I've come up with for today is the Meldrew moan. I'll pick out my favourite Victor moment from the episode and also come up with something topical to moan about myself. So I think it's, um, again, highly appropriate. That's something Victor would do. So, yeah, let's crack on with the show. So we open up with Margaret in the kitchen. She's been confronted by a sort of a bit rough around the edges young lady. We've established she's a window cleaner. She has come to complain that Victor has allegedly exposed himself. So Margaret is trying to butter up by giving her a cup of tea, some biscuits, but this lady isn't having any, any of it. Now, straight away, when I first watched this, I did not believe that Victor would do something like that. Um, even if you were to watch this for the first time and not know anything about the character, it's highly unlikely for some reason you just have faith that this man who's 60, although actually in this day and age, it'd probably be the other way. You probably would believe the lady because, you know, the way things are. But I think for some reason, gut instinct tells me that he just wouldn't do something like that on purpose. And especially since we learn that he is in his own home, in the, you know, in his own bedroom, drying himself after having a shower, which we obviously late, later learn. So this lady, played by Faye Maguire, I don't know what else she's been in. She's accused him of providing like a peep show, you know, handling his parts, indecently exposing himself. But Victor, I just love they just is not is he's not bothered at all. All you got to admire about Victor, he doesn't tend to care what people think of him or say about him, but the flip side is he does care about what people do to him to inconvenience him. Not so much <laughs> making accusations, but, you know, if he's on the wrong side of a of a builder, of, of a poor workman's job, that will certainly get his goat up. But not if someone accuses him of some sort of sexual harassment. But I just absolutely love the line already within the first couple of minutes. The window cleaner, she says, you know, you are... Handling, handling your parts or handling your private parts, you know, through the through the window, it almost you know, causes the fall off the ladder. And is is lying with what do you expect me to do? Drain across the bathroom radiator? Just that nice sardonic tone just sums up Victor's way of life. Excellent. And already, already we're starting to see the little things in life that really gets on Victor's nerves. You know, he's trying to open a pack of rich tea biscuits and just exaggerating how difficult it is to open one. But one of the things we see Victor do, again, he's he's quite extravagant with what kind of action he takes on things that annoy him most. He's setting light to a some sort of circular um, in the frying pan. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's still getting this these accusations thrown his way. I mean, to be honest with you, by the time the scene's ended, she's so hepped up about it. You know, he's in his own bedroom. Yeah, I don't know what I don't quite know what the laws are with being naked in your own bedroom when someone happens to be looking through, even if it is a window cleaner, but 
She hasn't really got a leg to stand on there unless he was purposely, you know, confronting her sexually to making her feel uncomfortable. In this day and age, it obviously is a, a different matter now. But I think back in 1990, she wouldn't have a lot to a leg to stand on. And he is in his own home. So I am on Victor's side here because he clearly he's just dried himself after having a shower. Surely she could see that. I think what I can sense from her aggravation is she she she's you know, reading deep into it for a minute. She probably has been through something similar. So just sees Victor's another man trying it on in a perverted sense. If she's a window cleaner, she might see it all the time. So you have to give us the benefit of doubt in that regard. But nevertheless, you know, we're on Victor's side here. She's come to no harm other than seeing a site that isn't so isn't for the uh, well, a site that's not for sore eyes, shall we say? Once the window cleaner ladies left, whose character name we'll never know. Margaret's opening a letter. Um, from a family relative. As she's opening the letter, she is saying that 60 years of age is not old. So we definitely confirm that he is that age. He's not a little bit under or a bit over. Although I believe uh, Richard Wilson was 56, 57 when he first played Victor Marjorie. We learn that his age, 60, and she's you know trying to put a positive spin on the fact that, yes, you retired, but you've got your whole life ahead of you, you know, you know, you look on look on look on the bright side of life and all the rest of it. So the window cleaner ladies left, never quite find out her name. Victor and Margaret opening their the mail. Victor's come across a letter from his cousin cousin Alf. Victor reads out the message from cousin Alf to say he's never um, been in better shape. He's in good health, uh, which promptly gives Victor a little glint glint in his eye to say actually maybe life could be good. Anyway, sixty's not old. You've barely started living. Hmm. Early retirement seems to be suiting Cousin Geoffrey. Say this opened up a whole new life for him. I never felt so fit and healthy. I think I'm in better shape now than I've ever been, he says. When did he write that letter? Thursday, why? This one's from Alice. She says on the way back from posting that letter, he had a heart attack and dropped dead on the pavement. He'd <laughs> <laughs> only just turned 60 as well. Had he really? He'd just taken early retirement. Yes, how fascinating. He was, <laughs> he was the same age as you. Oh, jolly good. I'll just lie down the floor now and die, shall I? <laughs> you can afford the dick. I've no need to let him in. He can shout the last right through the letterbox. <laughs> in comes uh, some brilliant bit of comedy. Margaret says, when's that letter written? Margaret reading that letter. A letter from um, Alice, assumably a wife or you know, distant um, close relative, to say that. He died of um, an illness and fell off a cliff, apparently. Uh, one of those two, which immediately brings uh, Victor back down to uh, reality and only plays on his paranoia. I don't know why she read that to him. I mean, he got to learn of the fate of his cousin, to be fair, so it's not much she could do. But she didn't really help by just confirming, oh, he's the same age as you as well, and he just retired. Victor proceeds to immediately lie on the floor to say, I'll just lie down here and die, shall I? Just comedy visuals there for me sort of basil faulty esque i don't know why but yeah brilliant brilliant stuff also forgot to say following in that letter she proceeds to say that his sister also died of a short illness as well so just piling more doom and misery onto victor's mindset i think margaret should know better really we follow victor into the garden he's picking up some litter and he can hear some music playing from next door sarcastically asking him to turn up a bit louder you know, in response to them being antisocial. Of course, what do they do? They're going to turn up loud, aren't they? Picking up 
a variety of Chris Packett's an ongoing theme, it seems, in this first series. Just again, painting a picture of the the, the very small little daily things that would wind uh, Victor up, would wind any of us up, to be fair. We used to have um, a neighbour, a young girl, used to chuck all of her unwanted food into our garden. She didn't think her mum realised until I had to confront the mum one day. Actually, a, comed- a, a little comedic moment off topic and relating to that. This young girl, she one day she was um, in a it was a summer's afternoon. She chucked some more food into our <laughs> our back garden, and my mother in law was uh, at our house. I think she we weren't there, but she was looking after the dog. She went into the our back garden for whatever reason, and apparently, and I wish I'd seen it, a banana skin came flying over the fence, landed on the mother in law's head, and she was livid. It was that point I had to say something, but. Oh my god, it was just hilarious. I tried to break the ice with them, with the neighbour's mum to say it was actually quite funny. But I think you should know your child's um, disposal of unwanted food. But yeah, sorry, off topic there. So yeah, Victor's in the in the garden, and what I noticed is nothing major, but that the loud music suddenly been switched off. So they did actually um, adhere to Victor's wishes in that regard. Now we Victor spotted um, a robin. I think it's a robin bird in his back garden. And it's the start of a sort of foreshadowing, I don't know if that's the right word, for Victor's outlook on the future. And perhaps it's David Renwick's way of showing you Victor's good-natured side. There's different mixed, mixed messages here, but he spots a robin and he proceeds to find a worm in the ground and feed it, which is yeah, quite nice. It's probably a stereotypical thing of, a man in his 16 above being at the garden, feeding the birds, but that is essentially what Victor's doing. And he's essentially befriended this little bird, actually. It's quite tragic, but quite sweet all the same. I love how Victor walks back into the kitchen just to clarify the number of crisp packets he collected today. Like it's just a, it's an everyday occurrence, clearly. Margaret has, and this is quite a quick turnaround, by the way, and I don't know if you know what what the what real time we're in here but i assume it's the same day it feels like it's the same day if we look at proverbs 6 verse 12 i think we can find the answer a naughty person a wicked man walketh you're jehovah's with a witnesses bloody <laughs> <laughs> jehovah's witnesses <laughs> a policeman well we are policemen but on our days off we work for god we just read you something sir in the beginning, get out of work. my house. There is what we assume to be a couple of police officers at Victor's house immediately confront him about, you know, obscene behaviour, what his thoughts on the unbridled filth are, that what, how perverts should know better for their age. Um, Victor's very much on the back foot here. And, and it really does draw you in because you do assume that these are two police officers until they quote something from the Bible. And they are preaching to Victor. <laughs> Victor qu- quite rightly stands up to them and says, you know, you're bloody Jehovah's Witnesses, aren't you? And it just so happens that these two these two guys are police officers in their spare time or detectives or whatever. But, you know, quite rightly chucks them out. Some great writing there. It really does have you fooled initially. Do you think, blimey, there, Victor is going to get into some trouble here? And he does conf- he is confronted by police officers again for a very similar nature a few series down the line, but more clever clever uh, writing from Mr. Renwick. We start to we start to see Victor um visually panicking about his health now. 
Come on, Meldrew, pull yourself together. You're 60 years old. 60 years old. <laughs> You're perfectly all right. It's all in your imagination. So come on. There isn't a thing wrong with you, and you know it. Now, I wonder if that's quite normal. If you're in Victor's position where you didn't really assume you'd retire just at 60 and you've suddenly got more time in your hands, and I know I touched this more in the first episode, he is going to think, how long have I got left? For me, in this day and age, I think as I get older, 60 is an older tool. It is, it's not old. But if you're in the position where you know, you've got nothing to look forward to and you are 60 and counting... I can see how you might get paranoid. And he is feeling for lumps and, you know, looking out for rashes and all sorts. And we do discover eventually there's something going on there, but we'll come to that uh, later. We move on now. So clearly to keep healthy and fit and keep the mind active, Victor and Margaret have gone to a, what looks like a local community centre, and they'll be, they're having some sort of yoga class or some sort of fitness session. And the lady running the fitness class is Kate Adsed. Oh, I think it's pronounced that correct. Adsed, Adsed. I know her from Dinner Ladies. Um, she has been in countless uh, programs. I'm sure you'll be able to know more than me. And she is trying to teach these over 60s uh, the art of meditation and yoga. She doesn't have many lines, but she is quite funny with this. I think it's well cast, I think, for this, for this scene. Victor's sceptical on the whole keeping fit and in this regard with, with yoga. There's a little old lady at the front, certainly older than Victor and Margaret. I'd say easily pushing 80. She Good for her. She's giving it a go. Now they get to the point then where they're asked to hold their legs and shut their eyes and just relax. And what happens? The only classic of One Foot in the Grave. Oh, God! <laughs> She's dead. Oh, no. She can't be dead. She's a bloody health and fitness instructor. Oh, don't you this stupid woman. There's nothing there. She must have had a coronary. Oh, brilliant. Doesn't anyone last any more than five minutes anymore? At this rate, the entire human race will be extinct by next Thursday. What are we going to do? Um, look, I think you... Something out of nowhere happens. The yoga teacher dies, unfortunately. She can only be about mid to late 40s in this. And the irony is, yeah, she passes on, which, of course, panics the living daylights out of the gym goers or the, the little old lady at the front. She, her legs are locked. The, the others have left, well, because Victor and Margaret have sort of taken ownership. Not Well, they're taking a responsibility for making sure that this is essentially resolved, one for a better word. And the little old lady's legs are locked in position, and then she faints and collapses forward. Now, again, I mentioned Basil Fawlty earlier and Fawlty Tower's influence, but Victor, he's faced with potentially two dead bodies. I think it's Basil Fawlty's line when he was confronted with two dead bodies in the Kipping the Corpse episode. He says something along the lines of, oh, great, spipping, two dead, 22 to go, or something along those lines. Victor is says, welcome to Stiff City, <laughs> marvellously delivered. Being a sitcom, it now only leads to more confusion and misunderstanding because the little old lady who's fainted they for some reason wheel her in a trolley they come across a what looks like a nurse of sorts in the corridor and she says take her to the sick room it's the last door on the left or whatever it sets up a perfect misunderstanding now because Victor comes across who he assumes is a nurse 
And we'll later find out, actually, she is a some sort of makeup artist lecturer. We're now back in Victor's garden. He's he's feeding them the robin. He's suited and booted. They're about to go to funeral for I assume for his cousin Alf. Margaret says that you, you cannot be wearing those shoes. And for some reason she's got it in for him for wearing a certain pair of shoes. Victor responds uh commentary with a more of Victor trying to establish if he's got any kind of disease infection because he's feeling out for lumps behind his ears again. The scene cuts straight to them returning from the funeral and Victor has, you know, he's complaining of, of the new shoes that he really didn't want to wear cut into his ankles. Feeling sorry for himself. Bit of a strange almost, it feels like a pointless scene in a way. That was just, it felt like a time filler that. Cut to Margaret in the kitchen she's on the phone to her mother. As, we, as I've mentioned, we don't, we never see her mum. We only hear her once on a voicemail message, which is actually Annette Cosby's voice. And she's just talking about how things are going with Victor and him worrying about his, uh, you know, possibly being ill. The scene sort of links in with Victor in the garden, sort of pondering his thoughts. And he's also holding the robin he's befriended, which is quite sweet to look at, really. And I like how Margaret talks about an example of Victor's paranoia to her mother. She says that they watched a, a program highlighting spontaneous combustion and how Victor... <laughs> Wanted to uh, stay in the shower afterwards. He just wouldn't leave. This is back indoors now. Essentially promised Margaret, I'm not going to worry about any more possible ailments. And straight away, he's feeling for lumps and he's put a thermometer in his mouth. He's looking through the medical uh, dictionary. Poor old Victor does actually establish he has got a rash on his arm. And it's all over his back. Call out a doctor. She is totally useless. All she does is make a, a passing comment what she sees the least professional doctor you probably ever come across and then she proceeds to ask him what do you reckon it is <laughs> well, i don't know do i you're the doctor you tell me I, i've got two lumps in the back of my head that is funny and it's nothing less than i expect from a renwick comedy just it's for me it still adds that kind of dark comedy element like you've got a doctor here just has no clue what to do how how to address the situation leaving poor old victor completely helpless to be fair to victor he has had quite a few ailments in life which you can understand his paranoia he's allegedly had measles chicken box scarlet fever and he seems semi chuffed not chuffed that's the wrong word but the doctor's reading off all these possible uh, diseases and he's saying no i'm sorry i've had all those you know you have to come up with something better than that almost getting one up on the on the doctor but highlighting his slight amusement that she just can't come up with anything to suggest what it could be. And when that scene ends, you know, just the chair on the ice and the cane, she says, is he always like this? Victor back out in the garden again. He's had enough. He's reading the Daily Mirror. Margaret's come out to say, look, I've gone out now, but don't stay out for too long because it's going to get quite foggy later. Setting us up for what will be an, another comedy moment for poor old Victor getting a little bit disorientated. He's out in the garden. He's he's got this pet robin that seemingly is, you know, I assume it's the same one in his world. It is. It's almost therapeutic for him. I think every time he's with that robin, he does calm down. It's just quite nice to see. Really, he's got something there to keep him company, make him feel calm. And you know, you think that'd be the role of Margaret, but it doesn't quite always work out like that. He comes across a cat, black and white Felix type cat, shoes it away with a rake. He really does set up things quite nicely because that rake will be the downfall of Victor for this episode. He's drifted away to some classical music and it does become foggy. If if had Margaret not explained that, and again it's all in the writing, if Margaret hadn't said earlier, you know, don't stay out too long. It's going to have quite a deep fog later. We'd be going, what the hell is this? Has, has Victor died? And it's the, it's painting a scene of in Victor's eyes that he's died and 
has gone to heaven. Poor Victor, disillusioned, stands up, and of course, the, the rake he tried to shoot the cat away with, he stands on it, knocks himself flat out, and he wakes up in a hospital. He still thinks he's passed on to the other side, and he's faced with a, an elderly man, white-bearded man, overlooking him, dressed in a white gown, and Victor <laughs> proceeds to strangle him, you know, saying things like, why did you make rich tea biscuits hard to open, and why did you get me fired from my job, why did you, why did you let me leave crisp packets in my garden, all these sort of things we say would say in our head, if, if, we, if you believed in a god and you passed away, you'd be questioning all the little things in life, why does this happen? And po- poor old gen- gentleman's disillusioned himself, uh, because he's just there, s- standing over someone he doesn't know, in Victor Meldrum, Margaret, Right at the, right the last minute, saves him from being strangled further. Brings us on to the final scene now. Victor's back at home. It's another sunny day, light, gentle breeze. People say a dog is a man's best friend, but I think a garden can be a man's best friend just to, you know, relieve any pressure you might have or stress and just, you know, it's your pride and joy. Sadly, the continual feature of this episode has been, in a way, life and death. And the the baby Robin is found, well, it's clearly been mauled to death by what we see to be the cat. And what I can't quite understand is the audience laugh when they see the cat meowing and running away. I don't, I'm sure that wasn't intended for when Renwick wrote this, that the laugh, the, the, there'll be laughter from the audience subsequently from the death of poor baby Robin. Victor gives it a little live burial, and I wonder if this, this whole message of the Robin and the cat was... Is it something to do with maybe good versus evil? Is that too obvious? I don't know. It just sums up Victor's luck, you know? He found sort of a purpose, or a, a small purpose in, in life, by simply befriending a pet robin and feeding it and, you know, keeping it safe. You let me know. I mean, is there something I'm missing? Other than that, I don't know. It's just quite heartfelt, really. If you've ever read the One Foot in the Grave book, that was the story of One Foot in the Grave, I remember reading that Renwick was quite upset or disappointed or whatever he was paranoid that the the prop used for the bird just didn't look realistic enough i thought it looked fine but he really is quite he is quite a paranoid guy it does give a good insight to his writing style and how he comes up with certain ideas and he's is a bit of a perfectionist he really was not happy with that but i thought it was absolutely fine it looked quite realistic I don't think it matters for if it's a sitcom. And then the scene ends with the camera panning across to the the hedge, separating him from the neighbours. Bit of music, or bit there's some people, you know, socialising, probably a bit too loudly for Victor's liking. And a can of Heineken drink is chucked into his garden. And that's the end of the episode. I wouldn't say that was an overly brilliant episode. You know, if you're a fan of any series, you, you enjoy every single episode, but... Series one is a little on the weak side. Even when you've watched it over and over again, you do come to appreciate it more. But you, it's still way off how the quality of of one of what One Foot in the Grave does eventually become. But that episode was aired eleventh of January nineteen ninety. Okay, so my Meldrew moan corner. Oh, I do not believe. Will you look at this, bastards? Can you believe the nerve of this? I'm going to choose the line in response to the window cleaner when he said, do you expect me to drape them across the radiator? I thought it was excellent. Now, my uh, Meldrew moan, I'm going to moan about coronavirus. Now, it's got to the point where, I've, I, apart from the fact I'm podcasting, I've done a social media blank out. Now, by that, I've deleted my Sky News app. I've deleted my Twitter because I'm sick to death of 
hearing the hourly updates on how many more people are affected across the world. Now it's partly because I'm I'm not falling for the hype, but I'm I'm a little bit a little bit like Victor. I'm a bit paranoid. I probably will. What if I do catch this coronavirus? Even though I know it's just a cold and it affects the same kind of people who are vulnerable to a, to a flu cold. Most of us, I think, would be fine, but I still don't want to read about it. And I'm sick to death of it, really. So I've, I've deleted it. I've deleted the app, the Sky app, that is. So delete Twitter. And I don't really talk about it with people I know. So as far as I'm concerned, it isn't happening. Just keep washing your hands. It's the obvious. And that's my mailroom moan. If you've got any Meldrew moans, um, even if it's a, a moan about the quality of this podcast, as long as it's constructive, because I've never done a podcast on my own before, and I'll, I'll probably keep, I'll probably mention this every episode. You know, in, in a way, I'm moaning myself by saying, "God, I'm doing this on my own." You know, it, it is. Hopefully, it gets easier. And if I'm getting listeners, I don't care if I've only got a few listeners. If I'm putting some kind of joy to your journeys to work, or if you're walking the dog, or if, you're bored on a Sunday afternoon and you just want something to listen to, that will please me no end. You know, I'm not expecting miracles, but if I just get a few of you listening, excellent. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Can't believe there's no one out there who's got a dedicated podcast. There's, 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 there's a podcast for quite a lot of sitcoms, ranging from Faulty Towers, Blackadder, The Office. But there's comedies out there that people absolutely love and somebody is yet to commit their time to releasing one. So I'm glad I can be that person. For as long as I get, you know, some listeners, I'll keep going. Well, thanks very much for listening to the One Foot in the Grave podcast. You've been listening to me, Tom. If you've got any feedback for me, I do have a Twitter, and it's at One Foot in the Pod, or it could be at One Foot in the Podcast for some reason I can never remember. That's the professionalism you're dealing with. You can also email me at One Foot in the Podcast at gmail.com. As I record this, 7th of March, um, Saturday, 7th of March, iTunes have still not published this podcast. And I'm not going to take it personally. Apparently, it can take a good couple of weeks. But the company I use to publish the podcast say that iTunes, Apple, tend to take quite a while. And they've just republished it again. So hopefully, if you listen to this, you clearly don't won't care because you have Google Podcasts or whatever. But if you're an Apple listener, thank you very much, by the way. And I'm glad that the podcast is finally available. Okay, right. Next time, I'll be discussing episode three, The Valley of Fear. Cheers. Oh, I'm in the grave.